Okay, today on Time Out Coaching, we welcome one of the most innovative coaches working in our game today. He is presently coaching at Pallacanestro College Basket in Italy and part of the great basketball merchant organization and website. Please welcome Coach Alec Samara. Coach, how are you today? Coach, thanks. Really good. Thank you so much for having me on too. It's uh, it's a pleasure to do this, and I've enjoyed our conversations over the last and, uh, and come onto the podcast. Coach, great. That's great. I mean, um, you know, obviously you, you you're you're a young coach, and so let's talk firstly about um, your first experiences in getting involved in basketball, and then. Um, how they, you know, transpired to get you involved in coaching because you do have a really interesting story. And um, then we're going to start, you know, explaining, you know, how your coaching is growing and and what you're doing as well. So uh, how were you first introduced to to the game? Absolutely. So it was actually when uh, it was the year I finished primary school in, uh, I grew up in Guildford in Surrey. And uh, I went to uh, a Guildford Heat BBL game at the Guildford Spectrum and uh, I just remember I was hooked on it it was uh, just the atmosphere the game because I, I grew up playing my dad was a tennis coach so I grew up playing tennis and football um, and then I just loved it the moment I saw basketball so I joined the Guildford Heat in my in when I went into year seven so I would have been my first year of secondary school um, and then I just became absolutely obsessed with basketball from that point onwards, consuming as much like basketball content as I could find, playing every day. Um, and that was really how my whole love affair with the sport started. Um, I think I, I actually started coaching pretty young. It was when I was four, actually 14 years old. So that was when I would have been in year 10 of secondary school. Um, and that was... Obviously, with, with basketball in, in schools in the UK being so hit and miss, you know, you could go to a, a really good program where there's an academy. You know, it's like we have some really good academies now. Or maybe you go to a school where there's hardly any basketball provision. Yeah. And it was that actually it was a case of the latter where, where I was. And that actually worked to my favor because it gave me an opportunity to to coach a lot because they needed people to to run the school clubs and the teachers couldn't do it. So they turned to me as a year 10 student and I was running the year seven, eight, nine boys. Right. Um, just, just, so, just, that's just, just going back to um, a point that I had not known about you, you know, so you're saying your dad um, coached, you know, tennis and football. Um, do you think that that, you know, had any influence about you to, you know, to see, you know, a really important person in your life, you know, um, in structured situations and teaching and, you know, do you think that that had some influence at you at the start that you felt confident that you could go in and coach your school team straight away? Yes, Tony, undoubtedly. And, you know, I've never actually spoken about this with anyone before. Um, so it's cool kind of you, you brought that up, but I think, there was a little bit of academic pressure I had growing up to go to like a really good university and to get like, you know, what's supposedly considered a normal job. And, you know, I was looking at going into law or something, something boring like that. But I think 
and the, the fact that my dad was a tennis coach because my, my mom was kind of pushing me to go down the more traditional route sure um but the fact you know that my dad had success as a as a tennis coach in that sport and i think you know just the fact i saw him in that environment so much i think it made it more like for me it, it, i could see myself more as a basketball coach just from that mm. um and then i think more recently tony in recent times i mean the support i get from my family is amazing but i think you know because my dad's been through it for like 35 40 years now as a tennis coach it's, it really helps me just because you know you it's it you can have your highs and lows in coaching and uh just to have that support element i think is critical wow it's a great story um so you're at school you're doing some coaching there you're playing um, what's the next stage after that? Um, you're, you're involved in the Guildford Heat, which is, you know, I, I say this to a lot of uh, a lot of people, a lot of coaches, a lot of young people. Um, this is where, you know, our biggest weakness is in, in the UK, you know, is our professional stroke EBL1 setup where, you know, it, it was one of my biggest, you know, uh, motivations when our teachers at 11 years old um, would drive us over an hour and a half from East London to Crystal Palace to watch the greatest, some of the greatest teams that ever played in our country, um, playing in massive European games against Maccabi, against um, Blair Leverkusen, Milan, all these top teams, and, and also the domestic games. And I'm seeing Alton Bird and Dan Lloyd and Pete Jeremich, all these incredible players, Paul Stimson. And it was aspirational for me. It was, you know, the next day I was going back to the gym to practice and try to emulate what Alton Bird was doing, you know, from the point guard yeah. position. And so, you know, see, having that local team to go to support, I think this is where, you know, in Spain and Italy, it's second nature for any young oh. player to be able to go pretty much, you know, and watch some sort of high level basketball. So, yeah, I mean, so you, with you Guilford... Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head because I, my theory is that the reason why, like, I think we have some really good, and we'll talk about this later, I know, we, I think we have, have some really good British coaches coming up. Um, but the main difference is in Europe, just the club environment, the kids see pros in their own club way more. Like, they'd finish a practice and see legit pros playing, and the pros would interact with them, they'd see them and their role models, and then they can go catch a quality game. And it's just the difference, you know, that our, the stuff that our kids, for instance, here at college are exposed to mm. and just any other kids in Italy because of that. It's yeah. I think that plays a big part. And and like you said, I remember going to a Guilford Heat game against uh, it was against Badalona Juventus in the ULEP when it was I, ULEP. I was there. I was actually physically yeah. in the arena watching it. I wasn't there as in um, oh. I remember going to watch that game because it was Badalona. It was an incredible, you know, level yeah. of game. ULEP Cup. I remember it very, very exactly. clearly. And I was 15, Tony, at the time. So I was doing the half time. I was I was coming out at half time with my Guilford Heat under 16s team to entertain the crowd. I remember blowing a layup, but uh, <laughs> so I waited after the game to see Ricky Rubio and get his autograph, wow. you know, and I actually told Ricky this story because well, I, I worked with Ricky three years in a row. I did quite a bit in my NBA years at his camps and with his foundation. So I got to know Ricky and his family pretty well. And we laughed about that story when I told him several years later. 
Unbelievable. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great <laughs> story. So you're at the Guildford Heat, you're at school. What, uh, you know, does, you know, what's the next kind of stages there? You know, yeah, what, what, I, what are you doing I, there? I, I actually felt that this, the Heat missed the trick in terms of getting more kids playing the game and providing a quality coaching experience. Um, so when I was kind of year 11, end of under 16, um, I wasn't, I was, I was playing in the Heat National League team then, but I started to get into the coaching just even more and more. And I was coaching about probably at that time, about 10 hours a week from all the stuff at school. And I was volunteering for the Heat too. And I was doing a lot of organization for them. You know, I liked my operations too for a, for a young age. So um, I actually decided to start my own club. And that was called the Guildford Goldhawks to begin with. And the school I went to, I was, I was the, you know, I was pretty, I did a lot in, in the school community. You know, I was quite active. So I had a really good relationship with, with my secondary school, St. Peter's. And they just gave me access to the gym on Saturday morning for like 10 pounds an hour. So I booked it for four hours every Saturday. Um, and Initially, the only kids coming to sessions were um, kids from my school who I was coaching in the lower school teams, right? But then, because I'd done some work for Guilford Heat, volunteering, some of the kids that actually were going to those sessions ended up coming to the Goldhawk sessions, which was great. Um, and, you know, I, it was that age, Tony, when I really started studying the game. And I, the stuff I was doing wasn't the right stuff. But... It was still gave me a really valuable learning opportunity. Sure. And I mean, with Goldhawks, we, we really grew and we did some big events. We had like Aaron Stein, Drew Hananova. We, we, we had a one at our peak. We had like five coaches who are pretty much full-time doing community stuff. Um, now I, it was very difficult for me to manage because I was a teenager and then I continued it when I went to the university of Nottingham and did history. So I was coming back to Surrey every weekend and, you know, I was, so young it was very difficult for me to manage that's how I learned how to do it but to manage a team of adults and you know I made so many mistakes but it's it's how you learn yeah and we we had some good results Tony like we had quite a few especially with our girls program a lot of girls went on to national teams like U15 U16 and, and I do think we were doing things very differently and we were really innovating back at the time um so that was an amazing experience for me yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. I mean, I know some of that back story and stuff. So at that time, were you um, did you take any of the governing body award courses? And who were some of the coaches that you were leaning on um, to try to upscale your 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 your, your skills? Absolutely. So, coach, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Coach Mark Dunning, was was the first I'd say like real senior coach to to help me out uh, that's why i like i respect mark so much like and in my nba years we'd always whenever i obviously i was traveling a lot i lived in madrid but i i obviously came back to see my family and we would always do our catch up in egg of at the at the uh burger king because it's close to the motorway but uh yeah but so i had some really good conversations with mark just early on that and i met mark when i think i was i would have been 17 first year of sixth form so he was just giving me some 
points and stuff. And I did do like the level one. I did the level one when I was like 15, but I didn't get my qualification until I was the right age. I can't yeah, remember what that was. Yeah, yeah. And I did my level two with Jimmy Diamond in Solon. Wow. Um, and that was amazing, Tony, because he, I, I loved it. And I, I thought Jimmy was great. And I, I hadn't really seen in the UK, I hadn't seen in-person coaching like that, if I'm honest with you. No. So it was refreshing for me. And um, I mean, obvious, yeah. obvious, the, 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 the you know, um, uh, now, you know, Jimmy's, Jimmy's son and stuff. So his legacy is a little bit, a little bit, you know, just, just in the background now. But um, yeah. those who know, you know, I mean, certainly the stuff that he was doing um, with players, obviously Joel Freeland and stuff. I mean, there was some, yeah. you know, some incredible his skill development, you know, the, the development of the individual skills were, was incredible. It was certainly there was some old school aspects to it. Um, but, you know, the, his attention to detail was was, oh, was incredible. It was off, off the charts. That's, that's, that's what I took from it, Tony. And, um, you know, obviously, like Matt does an amazing job with the Kestrels. Like I've watched some of I, I honestly think that their the stuff they run is far superior to BBL teams, if, if I'm completely honest. Um, but um, no, and, and Bev too was absolutely instrumental in helping me with the growth of Goldhawks and the Clubmark stuff. So I'd say, you know, it's not many people know, but she, like she helped me out so much. It was like a, she was she like took me seriously as a sixteen year old. You know, like I was sixteen trying to get meetings with her, and she she had all she always gave me all her time and support. So and you know it's. She was such a major a help. Yeah. yeah, yeah, such, such a yeah. such a sad loss to, to the game. Um, okay, so um, you go to university. Um, did you do any coaching at the University of Nottingham, or were you were you focused I, on continuing to come back um, and do your stuff um, down here? Yeah, uh, down in Surrey. No, I did, Tony. So I was assistant with the first team and head coach of the second team. So that was good because I, I was coaching guys way older than me. Sure. Um, and that was that was and the first thing and we had a we weren't bad like we had a couple US you know scholarship guys who played yeah. D one so that was cool just to be around that and be in that environment. Great. And then from uh, the university, um, did you join the NBA straight away? What what, what was that process? And I, I guess if we can yeah. say this was almost a fork in the road for your for your life, you know, to to get involved with the biggest basketball organization yeah. in the world. Yeah, absolutely, Tony. So it was the plan was probably I wanted to take a year out and see if I could run Goldhawks full time and help it reach its full potential with me being able to work on it full time for the first time. Because obviously yeah. in the past I'd always studying, even though it was like a full time job. But um, I saw, ever since my first year of university, I saw that the NBA um, advertised for internships in their London office. Um, and it was typically, they advertised every, like, April, May. Um, so I applied for it when it came up in my last year of uni. And... At first, I applied and didn't hear anything. I didn't hear anything for so long, I almost forgot about it. I thought that they didn't want um, And then suddenly it all happened in one week where I did like three or four interviews. And sure enough, 
got offered the basketball operations internship and that was where everything changed from that moment onwards yeah. Yeah. um up until that moment so let's let's just you know talk about this you know you've you've got you know there were other people but you know those two important people like you said mark dunning and jimmy guyman you know as as, as kind of what what were your kind of core like not your complete philosophy, but, you know, some core things that you were doing, you know, from a, from a coaching standpoint, were you, you know, just about the individual skills or were you, what, what, what were you teaching at that time? Because now when you do get to the NBA, you're going to be exposed to, you know, world-class, you know, basketball and coaches. So what, what was, what were the things that were you, you know, at the start for you that you were looking at? So you might, yeah, you might be hearing some background noise. I hope it's okay. No, I hope you can't hear this. Good. <laughs> yeah, we're um, fine. Good, good, good. So um, I think I, I'm the first kind of generation of so much material being available online. And now I do a really good job filtering it. And I learned that in my MBA years. But at that time, I had no idea. I didn't know better. So kind of I I spent so much time watching the fever clinics on YouTube right. and and guys like Gannon Baker I was doing a lot of Gannon stuff then um because he actually came from Jordan Grand Classic to Guildford sure. and they did some outreach local teams so my team I got to don't, play and don't forget I I organized that for you Nike coached it. yeah, yeah. I, I coached it but I was the I was I, the the lead for Nike and I, you know I, that was my time I was working for him so yeah I mean you know Gannon's a great a great guy um 100% and there were back in those days there certainly was a lot of you know transferable skills I mean he's obviously evolved as well I mean this is you know 10 12 years ago now so yeah yeah totally um so it was, you know, I was looking at a lot of that stuff, Tony. But then it was my first year in the NBA when I really started to change. Um, and that was actually when I read Brian McCormick's books, um, 21st Century Guide to Skill Development or something. I think that was the name of it. Yeah. Um, I read that. I discovered an early form of basketball immersion. And then I started watching a lot of Mike McKay stuff. Right. Um, and, you know, obviously, like, Mike, Chris Oliver, obviously, were immersion. I mean, I speak with Chris every day. So he's, you know, been one of the biggest influences on me. And then, say, with Mike, I mean, um, I, I speak with Mike once a week. just And he's really helped mentor and influence me a lot with my coaching. Right. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, Mike, I mean... I don't think it's a far stretch to say is probably, you know, has influenced the, the way that junior basketball was being coached, you know, probably as much as anyone in the world, you know, just in, in the way that he's opened up people's eyes to, you know, the whole mythology, you know, mythology of, of, of coaching, you know, of, of younger players. So, and we will yeah. get into that. Um, so now you're, you're at the, uh, at the NBA, just give me, give me and, and the listeners uh, uh, a, a brief snapshot of the types of things that you do on a year on year basis, because, you know, you, you're getting involved in incredible projects and you're meeting some incredible people. So just, just talk yeah. through those, those type of things that you were involved in. Oh, it was amazing, Tony. I, I, we could do a whole podcast on just the stories from 
<laughs> for loads of tweets. Um, so to begin with, I was actually basketball operations and communications intern. Um, and I was based in London, but it just, so Neil Meyer was my boss and he was a 11 year NBA assistant coach. Um, and I just, it went really well from the start. I really clicked with my team and I had an amazing team to work with. So really the job entailed a lot of, it was such a vast mix that's why it was so interesting and so fun. It would be doing junior MBA stuff. So you'd be traveling, running coaching clinics, like kids for clinic, uh, clinics for kids, camps. And the travel was obviously insane. It would be, I think I visited almost 40 countries in the three years, um, including places like Kazakhstan. It, it was insane. It was so cool. Um, it would be basketball at borders which were really fun, just, you know, especially my last one in Latvia, it was, that was my coolest experience because Rick Carlisle was actually watching a lot of my coaching. And then it was funny because the first few days, I wasn't sure if he liked my stuff because obviously what? it was all decision. The last day he was like, he, he gave me like a lot of his time and he sat next to me at the dinner and we were just talking and talking. And that to me was incredible. And also the, the one in Belgrade in Serbia was I got to I had lunch sitting next to Popovich. So it was you can't you can't pay for things like that. No, 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 no. My 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 yeah. my I was also lucky when I did basketball without borders to 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 sit next to Hubie Brand, you know, for dinner and um, have him at our camp for the whole time as well. So yeah, I know that experience. Those are those are priceless, those experiences. So that's awesome. And you also um, you know what? Uh, uh, you, you, I'm assuming that all, uh, all of these events, even for a, for an example, you organise in the NBA coaching clinics at the NBA games in London, which happened every single year. You were able to, you know, talk to assistant coaches and strength guys, um, you know, head coaches. So you're you're immersed in this incredible environment, you know, of the world of the best in the world. Yeah, exactly. And, and it was actually the the London Games, one of the most enjoyable things on the job. I mean, it was very busy, but that was that was fun because I worked with VE a lot on that on that program. And I think we really grew that event because to begin with, it was kind of just a, it was just a one night clinic, you know, just with the NBA coaches. And that was it. And by the last year we did it, we had the clinic across three days and we had Mike McKay and Dawn from Canada there who I, who I brought over and hundreds of coaches were there so that was really fun working with, with Brian Aldred on that one but yeah just the the chance to develop relationships with you know assistant coaches and head coaches in a few cases I mean it was it was great but I I always had in the back of my mind Tony the fact that I I want if I wanted to get an NBA team position I wanted it to be because I could really coach right you know and in those NBA years, I was going crazy on the research. I was reading books, scientific papers about skill acquisition, and, and I will come on to that, uh, watching clinics, watching Synergy. Um, but I wanted to get a job because I, I could have an impact and, I, and because I coached differently versus just because it was a relationship. Mm. So that was, I always had that on the back of my mind and I wanted to actually work in a proper team environment where I could come into contact with players every day 
and kind of show what my what impact my philosophy could have so just so that people really understand you know i know a little bit of back background about the background but you can explain it in your own words um you know most people and it was a surprise to me as well um would say that you really you were on the fast track to being any type of high level MBA executive that you wanted to be, you could have been, you know, eventually controlling a region like Africa or Asia, or, you know, being certainly involved at high operations in those regions, you could have eventually potentially gone across and done something in central office, you could have potentially even gone onto some teams. And yet you chose to, um, you know, step away and, you know, go into into coaching in, fu in a full time capacity. I mean, what was the mindset behind that and the process as well? So I think I really enjoyed, like why I coach is because I, I simply love it. The feeling it gives me and to see improvement in the, in the players, especially youth players, it's you kind of, I didn't feel like I, I could experience that thrill in an executive type role with the NBA. Um, and you know, maybe sometime I, I felt that sometime in the future, maybe I could go back to that and be yeah. maybe work some type of role in, in an MBA office somewhere around the world. But I felt like to shape my learning and to shape my personal growth, I wanted to experience life outside the MBA and kind of I felt really privileged, Tony, to get it so good so young. The you know, the five star hotels, expensive dinners, the travel. And I, I felt like, you know, I, I actually wanted to, to see what life was like on the other side a little bit and, sure. and really hustle more to get back to the top, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no. Um, and, and I mean, that MBA position, it could have been a job for life, of course. But I, th I think the biggest thing which, which drives me is the, it's a continual quest to get better. I'm, I'm a big believer in this concept of Kaizen. And I felt like my growth would be optimized outside of the MBA environment. Um, and I know it's, to be honest, Tony, it's really tough, especially for younger coaches to like, to ignore things like money because it's, you know, I, even this year I've had some amazing, amazing offers, right? So like, various for various pro teams etc and it's like i'm a big believer that in your 20s you just have to coach the most that you can and be in the right environment and ignore the money because it's i believe that the money will come later if you really do a good job um and you use your time as a young coach to grow and kind of show what you can do um and that was the reason i left at the end of the day um and i i had it was very difficult because i had an amazing team like i said to work with but i knew in my gut it was the right choice okay that's great um so um you know uh moving on to that that critical decision what was the the process and did, did once when you decided to leave um did you have a firm idea what you were going to do or you were just yeah. like i'm going to i'm going to drive myself i'm going to put myself into positions and then if if the best situation comes up i'll i'll take it or what what was the process with that yeah. and what and what exactly so, happened 
so I, I went straight to elite athletes slash elite academy in Belgium. And the reason for that was I think EA, uh, you know, they're fairly known in the basketball world for doing stuff differently. And that's why I aligned with myself because, you know, I'm all about challenging traditional thinking, etc. cetera. Um, Belgium is obviously not particularly a basketball market. It's the, like the pro league's pretty good there. It is. And they've got some teams like Ostender who are great. And I think there are some pretty good youth kids coming up, but it was because the role there was technical director. And for me, I felt like there was no chance in Europe. Another club would give me that position. So young at 23 years old, um, where I could really create, create a program for the club and show what I could do. But I think I learned so much, Tony, because I, I kind of, I, I should have made sure that the situation I was going into was absolutely perfect and professional, especially from the NBA mm. when you leave the NBA. Yeah. And I think I was too happy in terms of I was so eager to show what I could do that I didn't really make sure that things were set up as they should have been going right. into that situation in Belgium. Um, and I, in the end, I was only there for seven, eight months. Okay. Because I left in March during the first lockdown. Um, and what it was a case of, Tony, was just like all, you know, the organizational philosophy and aims just didn't align. It was two owners. I was joining as the third kind of minority owner of the organization. But for me, it's like I, I want to really have an impact on players and give them a chance to get to that next level. And I, yeah, I wanted yeah, to yeah, work yeah. With, yeah. with guys who will be, who have a shot of being basketball players. Right. And I thought I made the mistake of assuming that they they wanted the same thing. Yep. And they, they actually didn't, you know, it was, I think they have some really holistic ideas at EA, um, but they, they weren't interested in taking players in to get to the next level, you know, and, for me, it's like, I want to show that you can do transformational evidence-based coaching with kids who have a shot of being pros at the end of the day. Mm, yeah, no, I understand that. So, so, so let's talk about exactly, um, just back, maybe back up just a little bit. Um, you, you've, you've met Mike, Mike McKay, um, Chris Oliver, how are they starting to change your philosophy specifically you know in 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 the teaching of the game and in skill development skill acquisition what what were yeah. what was these was there a um like uh, a moment that you just went wow you know i've been doing this wrong or in my mind i've been doing this yeah. wrong all all along or was it a slow burn that you started to change in in your in what you were in your thinking Great question. So it, I think it all happened during one week where I read a blog on immersion. I think it was about something like three man weave. Um, I read Brian McCall's book and then I watched a clinic from Mike McKay on games approach in Manitoba. Right. Um, three things combined. And I was just like, Oh my word. I can't believe, believe I've been doing it like this for three, four years. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I felt really lucky because, I mean, I was still young then. I was like, that's when I was like 21, 22, yes. you know. So I seriously young as a coach. So, you know, to be able to 
have at least an understanding of another way to coach at that age, I was very lucky, mm. you know, and from everything since that point, Tony has been studying, you know, looking at, you can use the term games approach, but, you know, looking at how players actually learn the importance of decision-making and just creating practices and workouts, which give players those opportunities as opposed to relying on traditional forms of practice without defenders on air training, et cetera. That's, that's really interesting. Now, you know, so, um, you know, you start, was this a catalyst to, to want to do your own thing, to want to be involved in a, in a, in a club situation or an academy situation? Yeah. Was that, was that, that, that was the, the catalyst to that? That was it, Tony. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you to this day. I don't think there is an elite elite program wholly, I know this is a big statement, but wholly adopting evidence-based within Europe right. in terms of not just the coaching, because you've got amazing academies in the UK, sure. but in terms of how, you know, like a full-time athletic S&C coach who adopts elements of constraints that approach and modern thinking, like nutritionists applying the research on talent ID, load management, all these things. I'm thinking, I'm talking more about big clubs in Europe. That's what yeah. I'm talking about yeah. in, for this. And it's, I, I still feel like the approach to talent development with big clubs in Europe is throwing a bunch of eggs against the wall and seeing what ones don't break. Sure. There's and no... I, I, yeah. And I, I've got friends who are really good coaches working in these Euro league environments, either for the men's team, the youth team, both. And it's, you know, they say this, there's, there's no real evidence-based rationale being adopted in a lot of these situations. Right. That's an, that's an interesting one. Um, so let's get into the crux of this then, because um, you know what, anyone that's seen your stuff on Instagram or on Facebook, um, you know, and, and I said to you, you know, at the start, how, you're, you're really the innovation of what you're doing is, you know, is, is, is by at the a cutting edge. I had not seen um, some of the things that you or, or the, the application, how you were applying some of the things ever. Um, and that's not just on, um, you know, what you could, anyone could term gimmicks or, you know, these kind of things that you, these themes that you come up with, which are, which are really, you know, inspiring anyway, but, it's more also about how you're taking the skill um, and and really looking at it and breaking it down and then putting it back again. What, what, what's this whole, how does this all come about? Um, and where do you generate this, uh, this whole philosophy from? Obviously you're taking stuff yeah. from Mike McKay and Chris Oliver, but you know, where are you, at, you taking your own personal inspiration about yeah. that from? So it's, to be honest, like 90% of the stuff I do is, I'd say, original in terms of like this, all the stuff I take from Chris and Mike, even when I do take it, because it's amazing stuff, I add my tweaks onto it and I add my thoughts and my, I call it a load, you know, like a progression basically. But sure. it's not a pro progression in terms of going from like one-on-one to two-on-two. It could be a different constraint or something within the game. Mm. Um the biggest thing, Tony, is 
seeing the things that players do in games and recreating situations from that. Okay. And, and I don't mean like, I think the traditional approach from skill trainers typically is doing, you know, seeing, seeing an NBA player do a move and then repping it one on zero. And that's not what I mean. And what, um, and, you, and you call that uh, your, your terminology or most people's terminology for that is you call that block training. Is that correct? Exactly. When it's just the same move being repeated over and over again with the coach showing the player what to do and how to do it and just asking the player to reproduce that specific movement. Hmm. And just, just before you, you continue, because it's really important we get the, the understanding to this, but um, do you feel that this approach and this philosophy is born out of what you believe is the correct way to to, or a new and a and more effective way to teach the game or do you think it's because younger people are taking information in a different way or is it a combination of both i i think it's a combination of both I, and i think the thing which drove me the most towards this approach in terms of that defenders and and doing it with the same cues that players will see in a game is it's just the all the evidence overwhelmingly supports it you know, all the scientific studies that have been done on how athletes learn, either in basketball or other sports, it shows that this type of practice is just more likely to lead to transferring games. It just does. Um, and it's also, Tony, just to my personal experiences, you know, when I, when I did the one-on-zero type stuff at Goldhawks, I mean, that was, that was different because at that time, there was no one doing that really in the UK. I now I think there are a lot of guys doing it. But I just, it didn't transfer, Tony. Like, you know, the, the girls would be doing these really cool moves and stuff, but they'd never do it in a game. Mm. So I, it was kind of me combining my personal thoughts and experiences with what the science shows us and tells us. So, so yeah. let's, let's, um, let's, so just so that the, the viewers, so the listeners can get an understanding, let's take a, um, an example of um, wing penetration. Um, so some sort of penetration, either penetration to the, to the, to the baseline or penetration yeah. middle. Um, how are you, so it traditionally, like even to a, for a coach like myself, we would do a number of drills where, you know, the ball may move to, you know, from point to wing and that player would explode off the dribble and he'd make a, yes. a pass either cross court or maybe even the coach would shout, you know, corner, cross court, um, you know, finish, sure. you know, that could be a traditional way. How are you teaching that skill slightly differently and obviously with these cues sure. and these decision-making, you know, building in decision-making? Great example. So for like, for the listeners, I would say picture the offensive player, say they're on the right wing and say there is a defender in front of them. I'm just giving one of many different ways I'd, I could work on the situation. Sure. So they've got a defender in front of them on that right wing. Then in the left corner, you've got an offensive player in the corner and then their defender is obviously going to be the low man, the, the low defender, you know, so it's a 2v2. I could give an advantage. So that means as the coach, I am going to stand behind the offensive player and I'm going to either put my right hand by their side or my left hand, which the defender has to high five. 
as soon as the defender moves, the offensive player can drive. So obviously, if I put my right hand up, it's going to be a middle drive. If I put my left hand up, it's a baseline drive. So it's a little bit random and unpredictable. And then it's a live two-two. So obviously, the the cues that the offensive, the the driver is looking at is, is the help committing? If there's no help, it's it's going to be a finish. Mm. And then obviously, if the help comes, they're into the drive and kick and they're playing off that. So teaching in more of this game's approach but this is where this is where it's about you know i would start with something like that but then i the biggest thing which which coaches need to be attuned to is that we have to be watching as these small sided games happen to see what the players are finding difficult mm-hmm. and that could be a decision making thing or it could be a technical thing and i would have no problem tony after the players experience the game and they know what a driving kick actually is and why they would do it, that's when I would improve the technique. Mm, because the technique is, is yeah. it is. And if, I mean, you know, and, that, if, and that's, yeah. I think that there is a point, it's got to be one of the biggest points that I feel that games-based approach coaching is missing at this moment. You know, everyone says games-based approach, you know, and, and let them just go out there and play. And yet there is a technical component that we can't look away from. This is what I keep explaining to someone. If you're saying to me that um, anyone can shoot the ball however they want, well, that's that's, that's an impossibility. You know, tech, they're, 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 shooting is a, a highly complex techni- technical skill, yes. which needs, you know, extreme refinement. Um, and that's not a decision-based process at, at all. So that's always, I, I always think that they're, there, there is a, a component that has to be in there from a technical standpoint. I'm glad you've, you, you've yeah. shown that and brought that up. One point I wanted to make was um, uh, how, because, uh, you know, I've seen you in a lot of these incredible breakdown situations. So I've seen you uh, teaching one-on-one. I've seen you in two, 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 well, two-man game, three-man game, even four-man game. What what's your philosophy when it gets to five on five, um, and they're you're, they're in some sort of game situation? So they're, they're, it's a scrimmage or could be controlled scrimmage as well. Are you stopping action? You know, if there's a correct decision made and you want to make that point, um, do you say do you not stop the, the the action? Are you stopping something if someone does something wrong or? Do you use video to come back to it? What, what's your philosophy with that? Yeah, absolutely. So number one, playing five on five is critical. And next, so right now I'm just doing my, my job here at college is player development. So I'm working with our best prospects. But next year, uh, I'll be head coaching a prep team and we're bringing in all players outside of Italy. I think we'll have quite a few kids from the UK actually coming. Wow. But I will be doing practices where I start with five on five. Wow. And it will be it will be periods where I say nothing, just like in a game. And I have all the coaches coaching from where they would in the game. So that means only one standing up each side, the other sitting down. Sometimes I might blast arena music over. So so the coaches, you know, their role is minimal anyway, because you won't be able to hear them. And then other times it will be five on five where I'm more stopping to make interventions. So, and I actually assign that Tony on my practice plan. It's, you know, in the, in the, I have a special column 
And if it's a T, if the drill or small-sided game is T, it's teaching. And you can, the head coach or assistants, you can designate can stop. And that's a big part of game's approach. It's not just roll the balls out and play. If it's L, the feedback has to be on the fly, L for learning. So that means, you know, you can give feedback on a dead ball, subs, whatever, and then C is compete, not even coaching at all. It's all player-led. So it's TLC. Got that from McKay. Wow, wow. Um, love that. Yeah. And so all in my practice plans, like I often start non-linear. So that means I would start with 5v5 and then I would see whatever we do next is shaped by the 5v5. Yep. You know, what is if what was it the players found? And I would typically do a debrief with the players, would come in and be like, you know, what was it we found difficult? Talk to the person next to you for 30 seconds. Then we get some ideas from that, where to go next. Mm. So obviously it makes your coaching way better because suddenly you have, you have to suddenly run a drill or small sided game for whatever it is they say. And you really have to know the game in order to be able to do that successfully. Absolutely. Yeah. Two more, two more questions on, you know, the way you coach now um, and, and this kind of philosophy. The first is, um, you know, one of those, uh, this, this is not even a question. This is where your uniqueness is, is at its for, but where are you getting the, the themes from for some of these, you know, these video packages that you're putting together or your skill, your skill sets? What, what, is that just something that comes out because, I had never seen someone do anything like that. Maybe you have, you know, when you've traveled the world, but I'd never seen someone theme something up to one of the, I don't know, what did you, what did you do? You did James Bond or you did some, some other stuff. Yeah. You've done a lot, a lot of those stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, where, where's that coming from? No, that was, that really just came about Tony as, um, cause I want to make learning fun for the kids. And I, and even if the, if the guys are like pros, still they like having a laugh you know especially maybe a team of veterans all right maybe i wouldn't do it but if, if they're young pros it's i like having things which are catchy so it sticks um so i'm big on these analogies massive on these analogies so and it's actually again that comes back to evidence there's a there's a research scientist called Dondre, Dendre Gentner, and she's, her whole focus has been on how analogies help people learn. So I actually read one of her studies two years ago, and that's when I really started thinking about how I can apply it to coaching. So I do things like James Bond license to kill. A lot of young players, and I came up with this in Belgium because the guys had no idea as to when to look for a one-on-one. They would catch and go one-on-one every time, and it's just, it's not realistic. It's not what happens at the next level. So to get your license to kill, you had to have a matchup advantage. It had to be late shot clock or you had to have a double gap. So there's no single gap with defender stunting. Um, and then we, you know, we used that and we made it fun. I did video sessions where I have the James Bond license to kill song. Come on. And that, that's one example of many different analogies sure. I use. And it's, they just when they like it you know yeah um and then the the, the thing that acts you know that, that encompasses that is video um i mean you know i was on a presentation on wednesday with you know 50 70 coaches whatever it was uh, with be and you know i you know i had explained you know back when i started or even 
you know, certainly when I started professional coaching, I was <clears throat> splicing VHS to VHS, you know, like um, you had these two video recorders and no one like, you know, then, then we did DVDs and, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's now you can do something on your phone and you likely can edit that video on your phone. Um, that's how far we've come. So you're obviously a big proponent of video um are we uh, 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 how, firstly how do you use it but secondly is there a limit and where does the overkill kind of come when we're using video now really good Re i guess we're getting to some stuff here so a iMovie makes things nowadays because you like you said you have it on your phone or your mac and i like it's so easy to do the funny videos because i can just rip something off youtube on a youtube downloader and then put it straight into iMovie. Sure. So, it, you know, it makes it fun. And just things like, too, playing music on a lot of the videos. Like, I put, put the player's favorite songs, whatever their favorite hip-hop hip -hop song or whatever it is, and I put that over my practice edits. And just it, make, it spices things up. Um, when it comes to video, Tony, I, the first time I work on something, sometimes I won't... If they have no ideas to what it is, like take for instance, I was working with under 16s on a drop coverage two weeks ago, and it was actually I, I the focus was more on actually coverage solutions for the offense to play against it as opposed to a defense because we're not really going to use a drop coverage with them. But if if they want to become Euroleague prospects, which sure. which we hope they will be, they have to know how they to play. They have to know all it. of the options. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. Exactly, exactly, Tony. So I started with video to show them what the drop coverage was, but we didn't look or I didn't speak about the offense. It was only the defense. So we, we emphasized the drop defender retreating guarding two. And again, I used an analogy from Game of Thrones. There's this, because I've seen it, there's a scene where there's this giant like holding the door and it gives time for the guys to escape from the, from the uh, oh, I can't remember the name, the like yeah, the, the White Walkers or yeah, yeah yeah oh yeah we used analogy for talking about the drop guy so he's got a temporarily guard too to give time for his on-ball defender to recover and try and get back in front so i showed two clips and that was it but there were two really good clips from the nba i think it was the nba one from real madrid from Tavares, because they obviously play a lot of drop um and we just spoke about, I gave them two things to emphasize, drop defender, retreating, being disruptive, being big, and on-ball defender get, trying to fight back over. They couldn't go under. That was the constraint. Get back over. I didn't talk about it. And I let them play, experience it. And I think the problem now is a lot of coaches use video immediately to show, to, to, to kind of show players what they want and to show them one way of doing it. And I, I don't feel like that's the best effective way of using video or they do it for too long. And for me, I like just using one or two good clips. Mm, interesting. Um, no, that's great. That's great. That's a, that's a great point there. I mean, when you take this back, you know, to, you know, when the game, you know, was, you know, evolving in, you know, the eighties and nineties, two thousands. I mean, one thing that I actually was watching, um, I think a, a film from like the nineties, you might have seen this on Facebook with Bob Kloppenberg um, at, you know, coaching, you know, his SOS defense in Birmingham um, with, with the early bullets teams. This is even before Nick nurse. This is really early stuff. This, this was held at Lillishaw, but what shocked me was the skill 
of some of the of the British players, these guards. And I can only deduce that at that time, you know, like they come off of some screen, which they didn't even know was kind of like single high. And they pull up and they bank it in um, because they probably have played so much that that was what the, you know, that was something that they had practiced, practiced, practiced. And like you say, you know, if you're giving some of the players, you know, if you give them all the solutions like, you know, snake or, you know, uh, flare, whatever it's going to be, you know, from the move off that ball screen, then before they actually feel and sense it, you know, maybe sometimes, you know, that's, you know, that that kind of can cloud their mind. So true, Tony. And that's why, you know, if you always come in with the explicit instruction and you are you show them what to do, some of the more creative things that they, that could work better for them won't work mm. just for the reasons you just said. So there is, of course, there is a time for explicit instruction, but especially in the early on, early on when we're working on a new area, I like the players to experience it. And I, I, I make sure that the defense is coached so that it's what the offense will see in the game. But then I let the offense experiment. And it's after that, once they've had enough time to experiment, that's when I show them some other solutions which are more explicit. Okay. Last question on your philosophy or, you know, how you're coaching at this moment. We've, had, we've talked about this off, offline you're having huge success, you know, with, with younger players um, and you're having huge success with the federations that are taking your, you know, taking you to, to do clinics and to, to open people's minds. What do, what's the, the gray area to moving this to say high level professional basketball? You know, have you thought about the, how that translates? Because we've discussed obviously, um, you know, how some situations require more, you know, more, 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 like you said, you know, more concise, concise instruction. Um, what, what, what's your thoughts with that? I think it's going to take one team to have success uh, adopting these things before everyone else starts copying. <laughs> and I, I believe that the decision-making is the next frontier in the NBA. It just, I just really believe that. It's the next thing which needs to be bridged. Um, I think it starts, to me, I think it's, I mean, we, we're at Immersion, we got six NBA teams who we do some work with. And... I think the hardest thing is just time. Like coaches don't have much time in the NBA world, A, to access the material and B, just practice time. So mm. I think it has to be done in player development setting first sure. um, and implementing. Some, but then again, it's the traditional way of doing player development is one coach, one player. And, you know, when I, when I started here at college, that's what we did with all the best prospects. And I said, well, this is actually why we need to instead we need to do small group sessions mm. so that these guys can actually get these decisions and work on the things they need. Um, so I think it's I think it's just a matter of time, Tony. I, I think in in five to ten years, I think this approach to coaching is going to be way more widespread. Mm. Great, interesting. Uh, very quickly, just um, sum up. You're you're in Italy at this moment. Um, you're working for Basketball Immersion. So just give us an overview um, of you know how it is working in in Italy. You know the fantastic basketball nation, and then also your relationship with um, Basketball Immersion. 
great. So I think working in Italy is it's great. It's such a, it, it, basketball is so big here and it's it's not the pro league isn't as strong as it used to be. I think, you know, due to find more financial reasons over the last 10 years. But still, you can see some really good coaching. And obviously, you've got teams like Messina and Milan. And like Messina's, he's 40 minutes away with, with Milano. So as soon as COVID's over, I'll definitely be uh, be getting into some practices, which would be an amazing learning experience. But we, so basically, the, the, the program I'm at, we've, we only take prospects up until about 19 years old. So next year, we will have, our men's team will be in B1, which is the third level. So it's pretty high, but we're only playing with like U17, U18, U19s. Um, so we've had a, a big track record for producing players within Italy. So a lot of our players are now in A1 and A2, but the players we have now, it's off the charts. It's, we, I think we've got some of the best prospects in Italy. We've got one legit NBA talent, multiple EuroLeague potential guys. So for me, obviously, to do the player development for these guys, it's really fun. Um, and I'm documenting everything. So, you know, in five years, we'll be able to kind of show the things they're working on. Um, but it's typically my day-to-day, Tony, is I do like two player dev every day, typically two hours. And those mostly are small groups. But like yesterday, I did an individual with Vaughn, the 16s kid, uh, hopefully going to be like one of the top performers if the Euro Championships go ahead this summer for 16s. And um, that was uh, just an individual because there are some technical things that I've been seeing that he needed work on. And that was, number one, being able to make a cross-court skip one-handed against the blitz coverage. And I know it sounds really specific, but I only knew that because of the small-sided games. When he's getting blitz or there's an aggressive coverage, when the lone man's tagging, he's not able to make that pass with one hand he's always having to put a second hand on the ball and it's right. it's giving the defense more time to close out so uh, all we did and i'm going to actually share this on my facebook today was we were just doing literally ran like one hand passes off a pullback cross court and that is a seriously hard thing to do like Absolutely. i don't know how many 16 players in the world can make a pullback one hand and skip it to a corner so we were actually just working on that for like 10, 15 minutes, but in a random variable way. So sometimes I would get him a shot out of it instead. Sometimes it would be a finish. We were working on that because that's what I've seen as a problem. And then the second thing we were working on, this was just yesterday, so this is why it's fresh in my mind, sure. was his Euro step. Because he's, he's, always been, he's always been like the strongest, most physical player. He's like long-term, he's a two or three in EuroLeague. And he's always been able to just get to the rim, make a body finish and get over. But at the next level, mm. he's not going to be able to do that because it's going to be bigger, stronger guys. So I'm ex- working on expanding his finishing package and just we're looking at a Euro step for, for what to do in situations where a defender has escaped the charge circle and you can't just go up over, right? So again, we were just working on that, refining it still doing it with some variability. But the thing I was trying to focus on with him was selling the fake and then exploding on the separation to get close to the rim because he, he, he was jumping. And obviously at the next level, he's got to get close to the rim so the shot's not blocked because there's going to be a second defender rotating off. So it's, 
it's that level of detail, which is, I believe is going to make the difference for them. Mm-hmm. And so for every player, I have a player development plan, which changes every month. So it's like the three things, which are the most important things for them that month to work on. And some of those goals are sprints, like 100 meter races, which we can attack in a week. Some are 800 meters, which is a month. And with some of the guys, it's a marathon. And that's like, he's got to be shooting trees consistently, but that's going to take longer than a month. That's a whole season thing. Yeah, interesting. And then with basketball immersion, um, obviously, you've known Chris for a long while, but, you know, some exciting, incredibly exciting things you're doing with them. Oh, it's so fun. Like, just, I think it's, we're really, we've got the new website finally coming. It's taken about eight months, but that's going to be a game changer for us. I, I think the next few years, I'm really excited to see where we can take it because I feel like we're just getting near, we're growing, we're growing. And I think soon we're going to, it's going to expand rapidly, even more rapidly. Um, so it's so fun just being part of that and, coming up with i just love coming up with new ideas and being able to share it with coaches it's it's just it's really nice to feel like we're having an impact no it's awesome awesome um let's take this back to the uk um so you know what are your thoughts on um you know british coaching and you know coaching fraternity you you spent quite a lot of time now you know away from the uk so you know do you have good you know uh links with the coaches here or you know, what's your thought thought process with that so it's you know tony it's funny i think to be honest with you, I don't keep in touch with many British coaches. And it's not because I don't want to. I do want to. But it's just because I haven't been in the system since I was Goldhawk, hmm. which was like seven years ago. So obviously, I mean, coaches I keep in touch with, obviously yourself and Mark Dunning, Alan Keane, James Vier, um, Ashley Cookson. But he's, he's in Canada now anyway, so he hasn't been in the country a long time. And that's really it to be honest with you. And I think it's, it's, we've spoken about it. There's still a stigma around being a British coach, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, And like, I remember the first dinner I had at the NBA global games in London, my first year was one of the most senior people in the NBA, one of the most senior staff. He said to me, Alex, like, we know you want to be an NBA coach. If you really want to take that seriously, you've got to start coaching in an American accent. And I'm glad I did not heed that advice. Um, but I, I think it's really important that, you know, you see, I think you see a lot more sharing and collaborativeness in other countries. And I think that could be the next step for British coaches to develop that. Yeah. I mean, there's no question that, um, I mean, you're, you're in a country now where, you know, it's just more, more coaches and more professional coaches. I mean, if you're, if you're even in, you know, B1, B, you know, B2, you could be a professional coach of your town, a small little town, you know, and we're not talking about A2. A2 coaches are, you know, full, full, full time. You know, it's a professional, professional league. And so what's that? Uh, two conferences, what, 24 teams, maybe more. Yeah, 20, 24 teams and obviously A1. So, you know, there's so much, uh, yeah, that's a, it's, a, it's a tough comparison. And I, I, I do, I think, there is go it is going in in the right direction but you know i definitely believe that um again 
we need more people reaching out to you. Um, and you, you share a lot of stuff on Facebook and Instagram, but you know, at the same time, we need more, more people reaching out, you know, to even ask you, you know, why do you do that? You know, or, or, you know, how do you do that? And I'm sure that you would be in a position to share that information as well. Yeah, absolutely. Tony. I'm always, you know, more than happy to help when coaches reach out. And I think it's, that's what we need. And to be honest, I think, my passion project at some time in my life would be to do uh, academy again in the UK, but not like an academy, more like a youth club where you can take kids to mini basket through to under 18s, under 20s, because it's, I just still see so much potential, um, so much potential. And I, I still really care about UK basketball. And I obviously I've got the best interests of my home country at heart. Sure. Um, and I, I, yeah, that's still my ultimate goal. I, I don't think it's a thing I'm going to do right now, but at some point in the future, I'd love to do that because I, I just, I'd love to see what you could do with UK kids applying just some of the ideas we've spoken about today, but being able to do it like four, five times a week. Cause it's like, you know, on 16, we have practice six days a week, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. you know, and best prospects it's two a day because they work with me yeah. and it's, that's the biggest difference. They're not more talented athletically or they just get more opportunities, you know? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Three uh, rapid fire questions. Um, your favorite, uh, that's a, this is a crazy question for you. Your favorite drill, um, which is like, I mean, you must have, you know, 20, 30,000 drills now, but have you got a favorite drill you're running at this moment? I like, I do a lot of teaching out of four and three. I like it. I can I can do a lot out of it. I would say the my favorite thing is actually from Montreal Fernandez and Obradoiro, and it's five on five on the table. So basically, every basket missed, you add the number of points, whether it's a three, two, or one, to the table. Right. So say two threes, both teams miss two threes, six on the table. Then the next team that makes the basket, if it's a two-pointer, they get the two points plus all the points on the table. So oh, it'd be eight wow. points. Love that. And it, Tony, it's the best thing when we play that, we play it a lot here. Hmm. The competitive. We froze. Oh, you just, we just got you back. Hello. Oh, I'm back. Yeah, you're back. Just, just, uh, yeah, you're just finishing up there. Let's, um, let's, uh, let's do, 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 let's do this segment again. Okay. So your, your, um, I'll say your favorite drill and then I'll get this edits out. So your, your, your Thanks. favorite drill. So I do a lot out of four and three and I think, you know, I'm big on this idea of dominoes and I like all my players to be obsessed with knowing how to, keep and exploit an advantage but then defensively it's great too the second thing is for Montreal Fernandez in Obradoro in the ACB and it's called five on five five on the table so for every basket missed whether it's a one two or three pointer those points get added to the table so the next team that scores if they score like a two or three they would get the three points if it's a three plus all the points which are available to offer on the table. Wow. So it could be 
you know, a team could go from 0-0 to suddenly being 10-0 up. And it's amazing just for intensity, competitiveness, and taking high-value open shots. That's a, that's awesome. We we we're gonna get uh we're gonna we're gonna ask uh Dan Dan Betts about that uh when we speak to him. Yeah. So that's yeah. a that's yeah. a that's a great drill. I I used to run something slightly differently. I used to run a uh a, a game called you know fifty points, which was actually based on defense. You know, you actually you had to you had to make the stop um and to, and, a, and a rebound to, to to actually get the points and it was the first team to 50 so really it's an it's a slightly different take on that but um yeah, yeah that's yeah. great 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 stuff um favorite um all-time basketball coach this one this is a really tough one tony because i obviously as we spoke about i've drawn influence from so many people if i was forced to say one <laughs> think it would be someone like Popovich because the culture is incredible and just being around him I really got a sense for that and maybe Stevens for like X's and O's um, but hopefully you know in 10-20 years that to me would be like a young coach who has kind of got to a position of prominence just by working hard and doing things differently and that's so I really look up to two New Zealand coaches, Ross McMains and Zico Coronel, for those reasons. And I right. and I would say last thing would be Ryan Panong because he's really we, we both obviously spoken about Ryan, but yeah. he is pushing the boat and that's all just down to work ethic and intellectual curiosity. Yeah, absolutely. Um lastly, uh favorite saying or statement that you, you say almost on a daily or weekly basis. So I'm not a big quotes guy, but some, you know, my clinic, but the Einstein one, which is the definition of insanity is uh, doing uh, the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Because I think there are a lot of parallels we can draw to that with traditional approaches to, uh, to coach. Okay, good stuff. Really great stuff. Listen, uh, coach, um, thank you again for your time. Um, it's been really, you know, uh, an, an incredible, you know, hour plus of, of listening to, like I said, someone that's, you know, extremely, in, you know, pushing the boundaries of innovation in our game. And I know that, you know, this is only just the start. I think that, you know, there's going to be a, a big career for you. So I thank you very much indeed for being on um, Time Out Coaching and uh, good luck for the rest of the season. And I hope that at some stage we can we can see each other um, in face-to-face, you know, not just over, wow. over Zoom. Yeah, thank you so much, Coach. And I think um, I, this means a lot to do this because this is the first thing I think I've done with Basketball England's probably ever just independently you know so it's hopefully it's the start of more things to come and i'm definitely really looking forward to doing more of you and getting to know each other better over the next few years so thanks for everything you do you know for the english basketball community thank you coach thanks for listening to another episode of time out you can now find all of our episodes on itunes and spotify so please like subscribe and let us know who you'd like to hear from in a future episode